Welcome to another episode of Inside Out. My name is Jim Bennett, and for many episodes now, we have been reviewing Ian Wilkes' story, his conversion story, which is still remarkable, and he insists that the church saved his life, and his mission stories, which I share a number of those with him. We served together, and Ian couldn't have been a better missionary. There, I don't think there was a better missionary than Ian Wilkes. And his time as a bishop, his time in a stake presidency. Uh, we've now reached the point where we need to discuss uh, Ian's departure from the church. And it's a, it's a sad and I think painful story, but I think it's important to hear it and to understand it. And I, I also want to point out that I didn't feel it was appropriate as I was listening to Ian's story to try to interject any kind of correction or apologetics for the church. I wanted Ian to be open enough to tell his story uh, in full without editorial comment from me. So what you're going to hear now is Ian telling his story, uh, what led him out of the church. And future episodes, we're going to continue to discuss specific issues within the church from the inside and the outside perspectives. Uh, but right now, this is Ian's story, and I'll let him take it from here. My daughter had done quite a bit of research. Uh, she came to me with a whole bunch of questions and concerns. My response was, uh, you know, where did you find these this information? She said, the internet. And I went, well, there we go. That's the problem. Uh, and I basically discredited the internet saying, um, you know, the position of the line of the churches, and that was my position at the time, that if it's not on approved sources, um, then you can't trust the information. And so I, 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 my response to my daughter was that the information that she'd read on the internet was false, misleading, without even researching. I didn't even um, take a moment to even investigate the sources and the links. I automatically judged that those sources were unreliable and untrustworthy, and she was reading essentially anti-Mormon materials, and that was Satan at uh, using the internet to um, discredit the church and was actively and deliberately and strategically targeting young people like my daughter through the internet, the power of the internet, and that she uh, was uh, uh, being um, misled by Satan, who is in control of a big part of the internet. So basically, the, the ludicrous notion that Satan controls certain aspects of the global worldwide web system. All right. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that. What was the content of, of what? Yeah. Uh, Joseph Polyandry, um, a whole bunch of stuff on, um, you know, uh, church history, um, the succession, as I mentioned to you. Um, uh, there was um, the polygamy side, Joseph Smith, Polyandry. I think the thing that Maddie found uh, most disturbing, sorry, just take Manny's name out there, but my daughter's uh, found most disturbing was um, uh, Joseph Smith having a inappropriate relationship with uh, young girls um, at the age of 14 uh, or thereabouts, and that the marriages, so-called marriages, weren't, not, weren't legal, weren't recognized, um, and that was a, a huge uh, concern. She also read quite a bit on the uh, the uh, help me on this it is the the expositor. Oh yeah, the, Nauvoo expositor. Uh, yeah, the what was he called? It was called the Nauvoo, Ex Nauvoo expositor. Expositor. Now, I've I've read that. Uh, I did a little bit of research on that in the back and you know in the past, and quite a few of those claims or some of those claims uh, has turned out to be true. Uh, one of the things that she read, my daughter read, was the destruction of the printing press. Joseph Smith had ordered the destruction of the printing press. Uh, I can't remember if he was involved in it personally uh, in, himself, um, 
but the destruction of the freedom of press because you know she is uh, like so many of course is a, a an advocate for the you know freedom of press freedom of speech expression um no matter how critical it can be and the destruction of that press printing press and and try to stop that expositive material from going out that that was something that she researched as well so all bunch of stuff and, th and then things like um other things like Kamora um we, we, we've been to the pageants uh, a few times there, um, the the New York pageants. And uh, if you look at the Book of Mormon there, there was a, a huge battle that took place between the Nephites and, and the Lamanites in and around Cumorah. Um But this was our understanding at the time, at least. And there's been no evidence, and archaeological evidence found of, of the battle where I think in the scriptures there, millions, I think the word millions, um, had died. Um, you have to check that, but I think millions is the... Well, the reference to millions is in the book of Ether with regard to the battle at the hill Ramah, which uh, was the Jaredite name for the hill Cumorah. The church has abandoned the idea that the hill in New York is Cumorah. Uh, that, that they say that Cumorah is somewhere else, that's the hill where Joseph found the plates, but that's not the hill where the battle took place. That's the current explanation. That's interesting because for a long time, um, that wasn't the position of the church. As you said they've abandoned it. That, uh, that means that they've, um, you know, they had a previous position on that, and that their position was that was the place. Absolutely, was the place. Right. And in fact, when I went to the pageant and spoke to, uh, we were enthralled, you know, coming from the UK, go to this pageant, talking to some of the cast members, some of the production people, you know, a little bit starstruck, actually, thinking this is incredible. Everybody made it very clear, you know, this is, and also many people I spoke to uh, over the years that, that the Hill Kimura was absolutely the place where this battle took place. And so, uh, and so, you know, my daughter researched all of that and, and said there's no archaeological evidence to that, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then other things like we went down to uh, St. George. St. George, is that right? <laughs> and we went on the Brigham home tour. Brigham's got this home yeah, in home. St. George. And we went in on the tour, uh, actually. And um, we were uh, shocked to learn that, uh, you know, I've been in that building, that, that, that home, uh, shocked to learn that uh, there were, a number of those rooms uh, were occupied by several of Brigham Young's wives, and and from time to time, because we did ask the questions um, with a tour guide, which they weren't prepared to answer in front of the group, but did answer following the group tour and and discuss quietly these questions. These questions that we had privately and um, in a, in our own family setting. But Brigham would have these uh, wives brought to him, um, we were told, uh, to his room. Uh, I found that quite disturbing. The other thing I found uh, a little bit disturbing as well, and you might want to check this in terms of your, your knowledge of history uh, and timing, uh, when Brigham Young, um, at that particular time, um, was the prophet, um, a lot of the members and, and people in general were struggling financially. You know, crops were failing. There'd been a few years where it hadn't rained. You know, people were struggling, um, you know, to make ends meet. Um, this was the, um, the the message. This was the story, actually, in the tour that uh, Brigham Young was the prophet and leading people or trying to lead people to be more frugal and and to uh, live within the means and, and, to, and to help each other's community through these very difficult financial times when all these uh, these uh, farming crops were failing at that particular time. I remember that, that message very clearly. And then I contrasted that with the, um, the quality of the home and the materials. There was a, a room there, one of the dining room had silver plates and silver knives and forks, silver cutlery. Um, Brigham spared no expense in building that home. Uh, it was an incredibly beautiful home, very prestigious, and actually built and, and operated, his operating costs there, built and operated um, in a time of, of great financial difficulty. This was the 
the thing that I, I found quite uh, striking. So this was the message that we got on the tour. Yeah, we were surrounded by this beautiful home. In fact, some of the material had been ordered from Europe. I think the plates came from Europe. Very expensive. You know, the chandeliers, not two grand chandeliers, but they were pretty impressive. And it was clear that Brigham Young was doing well financially um, and had concentrated quite a few of the funds, uh, you know, in his favor. He had all these, he'd been into that building. He had come up the stairs, his room's on the left here, quite a big room, wide bed. And then as you walk down on the the, uh, the landing there, uh, you've got several rooms on the right. can't remember how many. And uh, they were occupied, we were told, by, you know, his wives. Um, I, I just found that uh, just uncomfortable. Um, and my daughter researched this as well. She, you know, she, went, she went into some, did some research of this. Other things that my daughter researched was the, the, the interesting names between Moroni and Camorra and the island of Comoros, I think it is, in the Pacific Ocean. I may have mispronounced that, but Comoros, I think, it, or Comoros, etc. And the capital, you can Google this on your, on your Google Maps and you'll see that the capital of that island is Moroni or Moroni, I think it is, uh, depending how you pronounce yeah. that. So that there were some things like that that she um, researched and, and brought to me, amongst many others. She did a research. I mean, she was she, she's incredibly smart. Uh, she was super smart back then as well, 16, and said, Dad, look at all these things, and, and, and just, you know, must have been 20, 30 links, etc. And I, I wrote them all off uh, without even, you know, even researching them. And so, um, anyway, she wasn't satisfied with that. Uh, I regret not investigating at that time. However, she made the decision um, to leave. You know, she was 16, very strong uh, minded and um, our relationship with her was far more important than her activity in the church. So she, you know, pushed pretty hard not to go, and we respected that. So she stopped going to church, discontinued going to church, and um, and so. Uh, but the some of these um, questions that she had, they you know they they weighed on me uh, in my mind, and I would, you know, try to understand them and, and reconcile them and I couldn't I didn't have any answers and um and then you know while I was on the state presidency we'd meet with general authorities and I'd, I'd ask them questions um these types of questions and questions like on the geography of the Book of Mormon I remember I've mentioned when you and I were chatting back in 87 on our missions there that uh Elder Ballard and I've got the whole meeting there on record on the tape that uh oh, you had you had a tape I do, I do. I recorded, I recorded the zone leader session for two hours with Elder Ballard, who speaks at least for an hour on that time, and he he, he makes specific reference. He he will not uh, take any questions on the geography of the Book of Mormon. When I heard that, and I remember that distinctly, I thought it was very strange, very odd, because as a missionary, we would study arduously about, you know. Book of I got the Scriptorian Award. Um, my memory back then was extraordinary. I couldn't remember. You could read something. My, Ella Jacobs and I would go around with tracts, and, and I did this with all my companions. And um, I, I would say, read something from the Book of Mormon, the Doctor. I could tell you which, where it was. Um, I I did that with you. We uh, Hinckley and I did that with you. Yeah, did you? And and so I I, I, I could remember every. Uh, scripture, but I could tell tell you where it was on the page, or or roughly where it was in the um, you know, either either get the chapter, or get the verse right, or get close to the verse right. And I can remember it's like middle top left or here, whatever. And and so we had a a lot of discussion about the geography of the Book of Mormon. Um, and and I was I got the scriptorial warned. And uh, you have to memorize, oh my goodness, I think it's 300 scriptures. I think the other guy that I got it, there's a few, Elder Tallworthy, you might remember him. I do, yeah. He still lives in, uh, in, Kate, in Kate Ness. He is, he is. He is. And my, I think he was a, he was a legend in terms of uh, knowledge and memory of scriptures. He was extraordinary. Um, so, uh, yeah, and so we studied uh, just on everything, uh, some strange stuff and all the um, try to memorize the pronunciation of the 
um, long names in the Pilgrim Christ and the Hierat Bush. Uh, um, oh, the the the, the uh, um, Kolab and Kiravanish. Kokoabim. Hakakobim. Hakakobim, yes. That's the one, yeah, yeah. All these all these strange names that we have no idea what what, what uh, you know was meant. Uh, my daughter, just from thinking about this now, she also researched the Pearl Great Price and uh, you know the um you know the problems with that, which are very serious actually. Uh, if there's anything that's really serious about uh just mistranslating abilities um and integrity mistranslation experience and process and you know, buying that material and, and and mistranslating it, and reliable sources which have confirmed that he mistranslated it. Uh, that that's a real problem, I think, for the church, um, because the the evidence by uh, you know professional scientists and archaeologists and historians, you know, re- people who are reliable and trustworthy, have questioned that. Um, and done so without an axe to grind with the church. You know, it's no axe to grind with the church. It's not, these are not the Mormon people. These are people who have looked at Joseph's translation of that material that was found. Um, uh, there was a fire at a museum, I think, and the material was actually discovered or refound. And and, um, and they checked the source, and they checked the translation, and there was some, there was some problem with that. So, you know, th- this, all these uh, things that, uh, you know, she researched um, and, and they generated questions which weighed heavily on my mind and I kind of put them, you know, in a drawer somewhere in my in my mind. I- I'd ask the question with, uh, to general authorities occasionally. I-, I used to ask in a way that the members were asking. Um, so it was not to come across, it was me, you know, member of the state presidency. Um had doubts or questions. I just, I didn't want them to think it was me. I said, you know, we've got people with these questions and Did how would you ever provide any kind of substantive answers? Not once, no. And they said, well, apart from that, th- these people need to have faith, need to stop doubting. Uh, there were comments and feedback um, during the training sessions, because we have training sessions from the leaders. There's a, a meeting called the Regional Coordinating Council, and if, if you're aware of that, and every quarter, area presidency, mission president, state president meet for a particular region, right? And uh, you know, state presidencies, uh, you know, um, go to those. And these items came up, and the line was to be more faithful, to pray more, to fast more, um, and to stop trying to um uh uncouple i think that was the word was or uh dismantle fundamental doctrines that had been in place that had served the members well for quite some time um you know stay positive and the other direction we got was you know ask the faithful questions you know instead of trying to find or with the church doctrine or, or history ask questions that are more faith promoting um, and just refer the members back to fasting and the, the basic principles. That that was the best that you know we ever got as as leaders in terms of direction. There was no real solid answers to the questions because I, I don't think they knew them. I don't think they, I, I don't think they themselves as leaders were as um, committed students to the history of the church, frankly, as many of the members. Of people like me. In fact, my experience was, Jim, that most, if not all, of the general authorities that we worked with um, or met, you know, and I'm talking about over over the years, or listened to, etc., in meetings. Um, I don't think, with the exception of Elder Lund and maybe a few others, I, I don't think they, well, I know they didn't have the same depth of, of knowledge because uh, they didn't talk about, they didn't get into they didn't answer the question. They didn't get into the details. And I don't think they were interested either. Um, I don't think they were interested in getting into that level of detail. Um, probably for different reasons. Maybe it was uh, something that would concern them or they had questions or doubts. Um, I did have a conversation with the mission presidents um, a number of years ago. And we talked about, for example, the different ac- accounts of the first vision. And I asked 
I asked the mission president uh, privately in confidence. We had a conversation in a, a room after a, a meeting. I was serving on the state presidency. And um, I asked him after the essay came out on the different accounts of the first vision, which of the accounts are the missionaries teaching in the missionary materials? And he said, well, it is not in the, um, what's the manual call? Proclaim my gospel, is it? Um, right, preach right. gospel. Um, if it's not in that big standard manual, we don't teach it. And I, and I, you know, I said, well, you know, what, what, how do you deal with the questions, um, about, you know, the, those kind of questions? Um, and he said, the missionaries stick to the narrative that they stick to this line of thinking. And if people have got questions, then they, they, um, that the missionaries can't or won't answer. Missions are instructed to stay, you know, on the line and refer investigators if they have any other questions back to, back to him. Or the, or the assistants. The impression I got was that the assistants were receiving additional training. And this is interesting that the APs were receiving. These are these are um, essentially you, 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 two of your best missionaries, most committed in in the mission, um, who would receive additional training to deal with difficult questions. Um, Relating to this, in order to share the, the and spread the the problem, you know the the the, the resources, etc. Um, so that was that was interesting. I'd not heard that before. And then another conversation with there was two. There was a conversation with the general authority, and another conversation with the mission president over the years. And it was clear from the conversations that we were having about church policies towards LGBT um, and doctrine and history that these individuals had their own doubts and problems. The extent to the authorities had their own doubts and problems? Absolutely, absolutely. And so these were, uh, it was clear from the conversation that they too had these concerns and questions that others, um, many others, had approached them on a whole bunch of questions. And the response I got was they don't know the answers. They, they'd been speaking to their leaders and there was no answers that were forthcoming or no answers that they were able to discuss in in public um and one comment was that um that they were wrestling is the word actually wrestling with some of these questions and concerns because they felt as it has as a leader you know i think the conversation with a general authority or a, a mission president can be quite different between a, a, a state president or a member of the state presidency and just a rank and file member. Uh, I, I think when the leaders go to these people with these questions and concerns and, and say, as I did, um, you know, how do you handle these questions? You know, we've got these questions. We don't have any answers. When you are approaching these questions, what do you say? How do you handle them? Um, and they said that if they didn't have the answer, they would go, um, higher up, um, and they were waiting for um, answers. In fact, one of the responses that we're waiting for um, additional light and knowledge, uh, referring to the temple um, message where Adam and Eve are, are, are challenged, and, and they're you know they're waiting for further light and knowledge. I think they're the words in the in the temple endowment, and. Um, so I think they they were lost as well, and, and I think they were struggling with members approaching them, and and they had no questions, and I think they were uh, wrestling with the the issues themselves. Uh, I you know these um, individuals are not pervious to these issues, you know they're intelligent people. Privately, personally, they'll have questions and doubts. Uh, they probably don't share those uh, openly. Um, or, or with too many people, perhaps they do privately with certain people they trust, you know, within these senior leadership circles. I, I'm convinced that happens. Um, you know, when you've got a couple of people at that level who are very close personal friends, um, and they talk about anything and everything. Um, for example, uh, our mission presidents, um, and this is a positive, and this is a good thing. An elder Gosland, if you remember him, Jack Gosland, um, he was the. I remember. Yeah, Elder AC, Carlos AC was. Uh, I 
met him um, in Scotland uh, and and briefly in Salt Lake. Um, he was a, a an interesting fellow in a positive way. I, I, I got along with him. Uh, he was the one that rebuked President Dunn, I think, for having the missions work on the P date. Calcy Asia, yeah. I think he was. He was the UK area president, and then Jack Gosland came in um, shortly after, and, and Jack was very close to President Banks. The elder girl, of course, President Banks. Right. And so you've got those relationships, you know, like what probably you and I have got, where you can talk privately, and I, I'm convinced they do talk about these things privately. Uh, that was that was a loop. The reason why I know that 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 was referenced in a conversation I had with a um a missionary president um and some of the relationships that, that he had at that level um so over the years as we've met these individuals and listened and learned uh from them and, and had meetings with them sometimes private meetings etc you um you're able to put a you know a, a little bit of a uh, a picture together and they have they share many of the same questions and concerns. Um, it, it, I think they're struggling um, for answers and direction, as struggling sometimes on a personal level themselves. Yeah, John DeLynn talks about, well, not John DeLynn, um, Grant Palmer, who wrote An Insider's View of Mormon Origins. Uh, he talked about meeting with a general authority that John DeLynn later identified as FNZO Bush, Busha, right. who the general authority essentially said, everybody knows the church isn't true. Uh, they think the church is a benefit to people so that they, they don't say that, but everybody in the 12, uh, pretty much all of the 70, know that the church isn't true. Um, I don't believe that. But I'm I, curious I, if you do. I don't. I think that's completely wrong, false. I don't believe that at all. Um, I think that's. I think that's wrong completely. So you believe you believe you believe that the that the leaders of the church are believers. Yes, mostly. Mostly, there are some that may not. Be, but mostly, they are. Absolutely. So, working with these individuals, I'm convinced that they believe, notwithstanding the problems and the issues. And I think they've reached a point, a uh, position, um, especially the last few years of these issues, as they have come out, where they've been able to somehow to reconcile, certainly publicly and somewhat privately, uh, the, the, the idea that the, you know, the reality that the church uh, has problems with history, that the that the dominant church narrative is not uh, strictly entirely true or accurate or reliable. I think they've accepted that. I think um, I think they're aware that the problems with the church uh, are serious problems and, and issues. I think they would accept privately many of them that the church has made mistakes. Prophets and um, and and apostles in the past that Elder Dorf re referenced have made extremely serious errors. And mistakes. I think they. I think it'd be fair to, without putting words in the mouth, I think they would accept that. And I think they'd also accept that the difficulty now that the church is in. Well, let me go back. I think they'd accept that the reason for withholding and not disclosing the 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 hardcore facts of the history, the real things that really, really happened, which are very a different a different narrative and actually very uncomfortable because there were some very odd and very strange and very serious things that happened um, in reality in terms of history. And I think they accept that uh, to um, to have come clean on all the issues uh, before the, uh, you know, before now, before the internet would have been problematic for the traditional conventional orthodox member who had been, you know, following this, this, um, narrative for a long time notwithstanding all the changes that have happened official changes um that the church says the, ch the church says we don't change but has changed you know over many many years i think they would say that you know the truth is too 
the members are not ready for the truth or the facts. And and now the uh, the internet, which was uh, uh, attributed to Satan, is now um, uh, also a tool of, of the Lord, and the Lord is revealing things through the internet and people asking questions, and now is the time to, to bring leasing to the surface. I think, as, as your authority said, now is the time to be more open and more transparent. I, I think the reality is that the internet has... Um, has taken uh, you know control of the narrative, and uh, the the church doesn't control the narrative anymore. Um, they've lost uh, they've lost that, and the internet is the thing that's behind that. And so these general authorities now, I think they've they believe they don't believe in the um, you know the the original narrative that you as we've understood it, but they 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 accept these different nuances and different variations, but but they accept them, and they accept the reason that the members in the world were not ready to receive the um, the, the the ugly truths um, and the the the, the colour um, that uh, is part of our history because we do have a an extremely colourful history. It's a very peculiar is the word um, history in many ways and a difficult and we have uh, moments in history, church history, which are quite dark as well. Uh, when we have moments which are extraordinarily inspirational, um, and it, it's just a reflection, Jim, of human nature in any organization. You know, it, it, it's just people are people. Uh, they do things wrong. They screw up. They make mistakes. Sometimes very serious ones. You know, the church doesn't have. Uh, you know, no one has a monopoly on uh, on on doing everything right or doing everything wrong. Uh, you know, people are people. They will make mistakes, and 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 the churches. Um, uh, in, in my opinion, inappropriate attempts and strategies and tactics to cover up that has been a, an on goal. I think it's been a huge backfire. Uh, all these um, experiences, you know, my conversation with my daughter, the research that she did, uh, triggered questions for me. And I, I, from then, Jim, I did my own research. Uh, you know, when, when my daughter left church, uh, I, I really wanted to, um, it came as a, a shock to us. We, we struggled with her decision to leave, it wasn't easy. We supported her, but it was difficult. And, um, and so I decided to research these uh, these sources. And at the time, uh, the essay, this essay on race and the priesthood hit. We had the talk from Elder Ugdorf. That was an extraordinary talk for me. Then the essay came just shortly after, I think it was a month later in the, in the um, uh, November 2013, I think it was. And then going forward, um, uh, trying to get the, the timeline here. Um, some point round about then, my daughter was researching. I then researched her sources, um, and it opened up a, a series of, of rabbit holes. I listened to different podcasts. There were elements of the podcast that um, you know seemed plausible and and, uh, and 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 genuine, which really resonated with me. And other things that were were perhaps less so. Things that were said. Um, where my experience has been quite different, you know, with the church. And, and, and so when I um, started to have, um, you know, do this research, I started to develop serious concerns, questions, and doubts. I did raise them with, with um, general authorities and, and um, leaders. Um, I, I got nothing other than what I've shared earlier, which was a, a problem. I then uh, started the very what was to be a difficult and sensitive conversation with my wife who had been raised you know, born and raised in the church. In fact, her parents um, are in the church and their parents are in the church, which is quite unusual for the UK. Uh, typically you find that in the US or, or Canada, southern the US, you know, multi-generational families, um, which exist now in the UK, but they're not, there's not that many, uh, to be honest. And so, you know, I'm the convert. My wife is, family's been in the church three generations um and here i am having questions about um and concerns and doubts about the church and i did it based on i opened the conversations with my wife on the research that my daughter had done and explained that you know our daughter researched this and this and this etc uh my wife was already aware of these these uh these issues that our daughter had of course but i said i'd researched them myself and 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 was, was coming to a similar conclusion as, as my daughter, had similar questions. Uh, there were some things in there that, that weren't reliable. Um, 
in the research, but a lot of it was. Um, and so the anti-Mormon stuff that we were taught was anti-Mormon, some of it, not all of it, was turning out to be uh, factually correct or, or close uh, to being reliable and correct. And so the reaction of her life was was very um, uh, worrying. She was upset. She was concerned. She was worried for her family, worried that I might leave the church, um, worried that I might not subscribe or commit to the same values or standards, which um, um, uh, is is, is interesting considering we'd been married for quite some time and we know each other very well. And the fact that I... uh, I've always felt strongly prior to the church uh, to, to these standards and values, um, which she was aware of. But I think she was concerned that um, I would be so upset that I might abandon some of the values and some of the standards and start drinking or smoking, which hasn't been the case at all. Um, and so, you know, aside from going to church, I, I pretty much live the way I did, you know. Uh, we pay we, we pay tithing, uh, but not to the church, right? Uh, we uh, you know we we have our own private prayers. Uh, some of us um, we still get together as a, a family, um, family evening, uh, or, or fam- we call it family time. We have family council. So a, a lot of the stuff you know we don't drink or smoke or or take drugs. We're still very much um, you know subscribe to the values. I know that when you left initially, your wife and children, or at least those that are willing, still continued to go. That apparently has stopped. Has has, has your wife officially left as well? Well, uh, uh, what happened was that as the conversation ensued with with my wife, and I started to, uh, and there's a, there's a lot happened in terms of you know my wrestle and my struggle and my efforts to find answers to questions um, anywhere I could find them with the contacts that I, that I have, relationships that I've got, and they were unfruitful. And then the the, the, the at, at the beginning, I think I was, in hindsight, I was too, I think I bombarded her and I was too intense with my concerns and questions and that frightened her. I, I, I kind of unloaded some of it too much, too quickly. And it, it, that was not the right approach. That was the, very much the wrong approach. And I found it difficult not not to release or, or vent some of the frustrations or concerns that I had. And I, I should have, in hindsight, uh, regulated that. I had more control of, of what I said and how I said it and how much I said it and how intense I was. Um, there were times where I just, um, you know, offloaded um and in hindsight, that was wrong. Um, and it did have an impact on us, and it was concerning. And, uh, you know, one point, um, it looked like we would be going, you know, separate ways. Um, it, and it's sad, you know, when we hear stories where marriages have broken up and families have broken up because one wants to remain in the church and the other one can't and one doesn't. And I, you know, my heart breaks for those individuals. But I can understand that where one is, uh, you know, will accept and live the gospel regardless, um, you know, the church, the gospel, regardless of the issues or concerns. And that's the position that we, that we were in. Um, and so I, I had to uh, be very careful in terms of what I said and how I said it and, and, and how much uh, time I spent on it. And my, my, what we came to agreement was, our agreement was that if my wife wanted to, I would remain active in the church. And so uh, she said, this is going to be difficult. You know, how, how do you deal with these issues? And I said, I'll just bite my tongue. Like, I'll just keep quiet and, and not discuss it openly and then just, just go uh, out of commitment to us and our family, et cetera. And she said, that's not right. She says that you, I can't ask that of you, you know, not to be yourself. And I'm, I'm a person that I can't not be me. I sometimes wear things on my sleeve and I, if I'm sad, I look sad, right? Um, you know, try and um, put a smile on it, but I, but I often show my, uh, you know, my emotion. Um, and it, you know, we went like that for a few weeks, and it was difficult. It was really difficult. Um, 
And so uh, what happened was... Of course, the presidency at the time, uh, right? No, so this is afterwards. So when I was working, uh, I was on state pension for three years, and then my work commitment schedule changed significantly where I was flying everywhere, you know, down to Houston, flying to Calgary and, you know, across Canada, US, do a lot of work. And I was away for three three nights a week. And then weekends had completely gone and we took that decision for me to, to be released. It was a joint decision. It was the right thing to do. And I'm glad that we did it. Um, and so this is just, this is after I'd been, you know, released. Um, and I have to say at the time, I had what I thought was a wonderful, extraordinary relationship across the state. You know, I'm a very people-focused person. I really care about people, love them, um, and try to help them on a very personal level. I gave so much time, and I, at the cost of my family time, unfortunately, at times, and I, I regret that. Um, but I, no, no, but but I, and I was able to help uh, people, um, and I had what I thought were good relationships. So this is after I was released. I was going to church. Um, these conversations are happening privately. Um, I learned quickly that I had to be careful what I was saying and how much I was sharing with Debbie. You know, the kids couldn't be around at the time when I had this conversation. It was a very difficult time for for both of us. Um, and I was going, and Debbie could see the pain in my face, and 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 she could see I was struggling. We then, in, uh, she then said that we should ask the bishop to come out. We, we need to, we need to clear the air, and we need to uh, meet with the bishop. And um, and and just uh, she says it, it, it was wrong for her to expect me to do this, and. And she said that, you know, if, if, um, uh, she thought it was noble of me going, um, to church, you know, together as a family, um, to, you know, to continue what we had done for, you know, our lives, throughout our lives. And, but it was too much to ask for me to give up our personal integrity, um, and to sacrifice that. Um, and for me not to be myself, which for people knowing me, it, it, it's, um, it's just, I just can't do it. Uh, I, I try, but I just can't not be myself. And, um, and I was struggling and she could see that. And so she suggested the bishop should come around to the home, uh, which he did. And, and surprisingly, uh, when I said to the bishop, um, if Debbie wants me to continue to go to church, uh, um, we would talk to the bishop about the issue of the concerns that I had. Some of which he shared, by the way, and had his own doubts and questions. You know, this is the bishop that reported to me um, on the state presidency. So he'd, um, in our hall, we opened up and said, you know, uh, President Wilkes, it'll call me President Wilkes. Um, you know, I've had the same concerns and issues, and we've come to some understanding in our family. And um, it, he, you know, he he he's, he's the bishop, and he goes. Uh, uh, to church and, and does his best to, to you know, to um, reconcile. And I said, well, you know, I said, I will do that. And then my wife said, um, you can't do that. And, you know, right. And I said, well, if to the bishop, if, if my wife wants me to uh, <clears throat> continue going to church um, and I'll just sit there, be quiet and I'll serve and I'll do my best. And then she said, I, I, I'm not going to ask him to do that. Um, and so... Uh, the bishop said, "Yeah, you can't if you don't feel it. I believe it. You, you, you shouldn't go." So the bishop was was pretty good, actually. Um, wow. Yeah, it was pretty good. I mean, him and I had worked together uh, before. Mm. It come to me on a whole bunch of stuff, you know, helping lenders there in our own ward, and is a pretty good bishop, a very good bishop, and uh, a good man, and um, and so we decided that I was not going to go to church. And so I stopped going. Um, and then what happened, Jim, was quite extraordinary. Um, and this was a turning point for my wife and my kids. I stopped going. Um, and then something quite terrible happened. Um, uh, people started to, as my wife and the, ch and the other kids were attending, my three boys, they started to avoid my wife and to ignore her. And they stopped, they asked where Ian is or where's President Wilkes and they learned within a few weeks that I had stopped going to church. And then the whole relationship between the ward, many in the ward, not all, and my wife and my family changed quite radically. 
where they were ignoring my family and they stopped asking about me. So uh, my wife and the, and the three boys continued going to church for a few months after I started going. This is in 2000, give you a time frame here, 2015, 2016, approx. I'd reached that point where I just, I was at my end. You know, a lot happened before. We haven't got time to get into the detail. A lot of research, a lot of questions and trying to go to leaders and get answers and, and, and uh, conversations within my marriage and difficult conversations um, about which direction we should take, um, heartbreaking and, you know, tears in wondering whether we were going to stay together as a family. It was very, very, very difficult. Gone through all of that. I just couldn't reconcile and was just killing myself going to church. Um, I just, I just was quiet. I'd gone from this exuberant, you know, leader in the, in the, in the stake and, and, um, enthusiastic and, you know, happy and, and, um, you know, it's fun, hopefully, you know, I'd have to have some fun in the calling and uplift people and uh, to a, a quiet person in the corner in some school, just sat there quietly saying nothing. It was excruciating, uh, you know, going through all of that. And, um, and then, you know, my, my, my wife and the boys not getting into the same research that I did, but what turned for them was the witnessing firsthand the behavior, inappropriate behavior at times by some of the members and leaders that would actually um, criticize me to, to my wife and the kids, the boys, saying that I was, uh, you know, felt sorry for her that, you know, I was um, stopped going to church, making a big mistake, being led by Satan, um, and um, awful comments, terrible comments, you know, to her face, and my boy seeing that. And then after a while, no one asking about me. It was like, um, you know, when, when, a loved one or a spouse passes away and the members rally around yet yeah, and sorry to hear that lost so-and-so and how are you? Um, there was none of that. Um, not It was though I hadn't, I wasn't even afforded any interest from the members um, at all, at any level. Even if I, if I had died, there'd have been more interest. There was at one point going forward, there was literally no questions about me or my daughter, actually, who would stop going to church at that time. And the thing what changed for my wife, who no longer goes, to your question, and the boys no longer go, was the uh, disgraceful attitude and behavior of some of the members and the lack of interest uh, from some of the members in and asking about you know how is Ian or how is uh, you know my daughter, and the thing is they saw all that Jim, they witnessed that, and it was completely opposite to what they had felt and believed before. It was clear that the relationship with the church is dependent, in our experience at least, dependent on our activity in the church. When our activity ceases, uh, sadly. In our experience, at least, uh, others are different, but our relationship ceased. And so when I stopped going, um, uh, uh, almost everyone that I had connected with across the stake, and I was felt truly connected on a personal level, almost everyone disconnected with me. Isn't it almost, an, I'd say 95 to 98% of the stake had disconnected, either unfriended me or... Um, didn't reach out or, you know, I can't reach out to all of them. That's, you know, I'd stop different reasons. Um, you know, someone stops coming to church or someone's ill or someone dies, you know, you, 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 people, you know, the members call each other and they rally around, etc. There was, there was nothing like that. Nobody rallied around. Nobody was interested. Nobody asked about us. And my wife and the boys saw that. And that was, uh, that triggered their the process from which they left they it was they were disgusted they, they thought it was awful it was terrible it was 
unimaginable, um, considering the relationship that we thought we had, you know, for the members to behave like this. There was a, a couple of talks. There was one talk I remember I was told about where my name was specifically referenced in the talk as an example of somebody who was, who's, um, you know, fallen from a height, uh, misled by Satan, um, is an example of somebody who's been um, um, tempted by Satan. He's gone off the rails. He's failed as a father. Um, you know, he's, um, uh, you know, womanizing or is is involved in. Uh, he, he he wasn't committed. He wasn't. I find that that was hurtful. Oh, not committed. I, I gave everything, everything, uh, everything, and beyond. Um, you know, to to the church and to the gospel. I was all in. I was I was the all in guy, um, like many are. Uh, and that was hurtful. And and hurtful comments that I was a failed father. I'm a very very, you know, my, my kids complain uh, uh, to me that I'm trying and I'm not kidding. I'm trying to spend too much time with them. Yeah. Right. So in contrast to my upbringing where you know, there was no father figure, and it would have been wonderful to have a, a dad figure around, to, you know, have that relationship with you and didn't have. And I asked my kids one time, what is it like to have a dad? And 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 one of them started to cry and came up and gave me a hug. Teenager, uh, believe it, uh, and said, Dad, I'm so sorry you didn't have this. He said, it's amazing to have a dad. I would really. Went, I said, Dad, you just admit my kids adore me, and I, and, I, and I, I'm so grateful for that. I'm very anti. And he said, Dad, I said, are we spending enough time? I said, Dad, we're good. We're good for time. Um, we're spending we're spending uh, enough time. Sometimes too much time. <laughs> and then to hear that I'm a fatal father and husband, um, and I've gone off the rails, and I'm led by Satan, and I've fallen, and and uh, been misled and deceived. And I'm going to go to, uh, I'm going uh, down to out of darkness because I, you know, was on the state presidency and, and to whom much is given, much is required. And the, the ones who experience or receive great delight of, who um, um, reject the gospel will be damned and condemned and go to this fiery hell, fire and brimstone, etc. Just awful comments about my family and uh, about me and as an individual brought from people, uh, one individual who uh, I worked tirelessly with to help, uh, who just, I don't know, it was an extraordinary turn on things. But And so I lost almost overnight to an entire community, and it broke my heart, and I cried over it. I, I couldn't understand. Uh, I thought we had relationships, and um, I, I didn't. And, and that, that breaks my heart. Um, I, you know, I've come through that. I, I don't hold any grudges or not like that. I, I don't have, you know, a bad feeling. I'm, I'm, I suppose I'm indifferent now. Uh, I am sad still about this experience. Uh, could have been different. I, I've not changed as a person. I'm still the same. I, you know, when I meet senior members, some of whom avoid me, by the way, when I go to the mall, they, they avoid me. I, they want nothing to do with me. But the ones that have, you know, said hi or I've said hi back and I talk, as I hear myself, I've not changed. I'm still me. This is this is me, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I, I joke with some of them that I'm still in touch with that. You know, I've, and I'm not evil. You know, I've I've not turned evil, or you know, not got scaly skin, nothing like that. And 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 I've not changed, and and um, I'm still me. And uh, but, but we've been cut off, and 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 now since uh, my wife and the boys have stopped going, we've and they've not gone for a while. And COVID helped, by the way. Yeah, COVID actually helped. It was a a blessing for my wife and the boys because, you know, we started going to church. It was doing my video. A lot of the church membership dropped off big time. Some of the members haven't gone back, and they've used this. I I think uh, I think they've used this as a reason not to go back. I, I think COVID for a lot of people. Uh, opened their eyes to the reality that uh, they have spiritual autonomy they didn't recognize. It was, oh, I get to plan my own Sunday and I get to spend it out in the mountains or I get to spend it out on the lake. And I really enjoy this more than going to church. And I think it's been a huge wake-up call for the church, and I don't know that the church is responding to it uh, because... It, 
so many people have left and used COVID as that opportunity to do so. Yes, yes. And and uh, we see this as a blessing, actually, as an opportunity. Uh, and, and since leaving, um, we are a lot closer as a family. Not that we weren't close, we're a lot closer. Relationships are stronger. We judge less. Uh, the kids have done really well. I, I think to the disappointment of some members, and I'm, or maybe surprise of others, we, you know, the the family is doing really well. The kids are doing really well. Um, you know, and it, you know, we've not disintegrated, or we've not, um, you know, moved into a a, a a life of you know criminality or or you know debauchery or 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 doing some crazy weird stuff, right? If anything, we we better. People, uh, we're improved um, in many ways, more spiritual. We, we, we're, we're ourselves. We're not feeling as as guilty as as we did. Um, just one other comment before we close here. Um, the, the, when I uh, stopped going to church, um, my wife uh, asked me to speak to her parents um, because on Debbie's side, uh, on my wife's side, um, we have bishops and, and members of state presidency. They are bishops at least. Two of my brother-in-laws are bishops currently. Um, they're all very strong in the church, very active. And so my task uh, was to speak, and my assignment was to uh, speak to Debbie's um, mom and, um, and have that conversation, and that didn't go well. Um, my, my mother-in-law, a wonderful lady, uh, at that time didn't respond well. Was very concerned about our family and our marriage, and um, concerned about the family staying together. And me going off in one direction, or would I go in a different direction? And abandon all these values, etc. And what would that impact on you know her daughter living so far away from the UK here in Canada and the kids? And was quite angry, I think, uh, understandably, from that phone conversation that we had, very concerned. However, since then, um, uh, I've been able to have some conversations with my mother-in-law, of which I think she understands some of the concerns and questions that I had. But I think for the most, for the the, the big thing there which helped was my mother-in-law hearing her daughter's experience of going to church post me leaving and her daughter and her grandchildren being treated in that way uh, by members that should know better or some members that should know better and accepting, understanding that that couldn't continue, that uh, they couldn't continue to go to church. And so uh, they come round to the idea that uh, my wife and the kids don't go and that the general is supportive of that now, but we're not, orig- not initially they weren't. And I think there was some blame on me that uh, some concerns or blame that I would be the cause of a downfall of a family. That's not happened. And and if anything, we, we, we're, we're a lot closer than, uh, you know, we ever have been, um, in, in regards to, uh, you know, family and, um, that's where we are. Uh, you know, our life is, is good. You know, we, we, we've got a good balance, um, a lot happier in, in many ways. Uh, we've got a relationship with our active family members, which um, can be a little bit tentative at times, but it's uh, it's generally quite good. And um, but we've lost, I repeat, we've lost an entire community. That's a heartbreaking thing to hear. Unfortunately, we hear it far too many times from far too many people, and it's one of the reasons why Ian and I are doing this podcast. So, thank you very much for listening, and until next time, we'll see you on Inside Out.